listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We now present an encore presentation of Carmelite Conversations. Well, good evening and welcome to another episode of Carmelite Conversations. Great to have you with us. Uh, I have a special guest this week in studio with me. Uh, the um, individual is Chris Cutter. Chris is a member of our uh, Dayton community of Carmel and has been for some time. Chris? How are you? Thank you. I'm doing great. Great to see you here. It's great to uh, finally have gotten you into the studio. I've asked Chris a couple of times, but he's very busy. He does uh, a number of other uh, uh, speaking engagements and teaching engagements in addition to his working community. So uh, we're lucky enough to finally have him here. And Chris, I'm going to put you on the spot as I do with everybody that we get in the studio the first time and ask you to give us just a little synopsis on um, your history with Carmel. How long have you been part of the community of Carmel? I know you started as I did in Cincinnati some years yeah. ago. Yeah, right. I started in uh, 2004. And uh, I knew I had known about Carmel for years. Um, I um, had a cousin who was a Carmelite nun in Detroit. And um, once I had this powerful conversion to Christ in 1982, I tried many different ministries, many different uh, retreats and all kinds of things, but never had the what I was looking for. I was looking for a, a deeper commitment with God. And then... Um, in the Mar- uh, October issue of Magnificat 2003, mm-hmm. there was an article about Carmelite spirituality. I just felt my heart longing for that, and I knew that's what I wanted. So you don't you don't happen to recall the author of that article? Uh, it was it was the um, the editor, I think. Oh, okay. Uh, whose name I can't remember right now. Um, but so I went looking, and I found the Cincinnati community. Yeah, you know, and. What I knew, once I was there for a while, I knew what I was looking for. And it was. Yeah. And whenever I read something about St. John of the Cross, I had that same longing you know, mm-hmm. to know God in a deeper way. Yeah, our experiences are very similar. I've shared mine, so I won't bore our listeners with it again, but uh, very similar in the sense that John, really, St. John of the Cross uh, and his writings brought me to that hunger, that desire for an understanding of this Carmelite spirituality and course it's been a wonderful uh, uh number of years for me as well i'm working on my sixth year actually so uh, it's, it's been terrific yeah now, um what i found was was two things that i was missing and one was a really intense formation which our carmelite formation is six years mm-hmm. and uh and the other is the community of support that we have on our dayton group yeah and so that's a wonderful uh, experience and challenging experience to help us all to grow in the Lord, yeah, including Frances Harry, who unfortunately isn't with us yes. today uh she's actually at her son's confirmation uh and so we uh we bless her and we shower her uh with graces, we certainly uh, keep her in our thoughts, and we're going to begin this evening as we do each week in prayer i'm going to let Chris take uh, Francis's um, a seat in this regard. Francis Hughes leads us in prayer, but just briefly, I want to introduce the topic of conversation for this evening, Chris, and it is uh, Our Lady of Fatima. Of course, we know today, May the 13th, as we're uh, on air today, uh, is the feast of Our Lady of Fatima, and it is also the day, uh, interestingly enough, that our new Pope, Pope Francis, has asked to have his papacy consecrated to Our Lady of Fatima. Um, I just checked one of my favorite Vatican websites and uh, discovered that, in fact, 
the um, the address uh, for that event, which has already occurred, is available, and, and our listeners can uh, check their favorite Vatican website, get on and read it. Uh, but I think it's a significant um, event and a significant message with regard to what we're going to talk about uh, today, and that is the message of Fatima and the the uh, implications uh, of the message of Fatima, even for us today, despite the fact that these uh, uh, apparitions occurred in 1917. So, right, very significant for us. So, I'm going to ask you to, if you would, begin us in prayer and introduce this prayer just briefly, if you wouldn't mind. This is a prayer of Blessed John Paul II when he, in 1984, he consecrated uh, the whole world to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. At the end of the consecration, he made this prayer. Immaculate Heart, help us to conquer the menace of evil, which so easily takes root in the hearts of people today, and whose immeasurable effects already weigh down upon our modern world and to seem to block the path toward the future. From the famine and war, deliver us. From nuclear war, from incalculable self-destruction, from every kind of war, deliver us. From sins against the life of man from its very beginning, deliver us. From hatred and from the demeaning of the dignity of the children of God, deliver us. From every kind of injustice in the life of society, both national and international, deliver us. From readiness to trample on the commandments of God, deliver us. From attempts to stifle, stifle in human hearts the very truth of God, deliver us. From the loss of awareness of good and evil, deliver us. From sins against the Holy Spirit, deliver us. Accept, O Mother of Christ, this cry laden with the sufferings of all individual human beings, laden with the sufferings of whole societies. Help us with the power of the Holy Spirit to conquer all sin, individual sin, and the sin of the world, sin in all its manifestations. Let there be revealed once more in the history of the world the infinite saving power of the redemption, the power of merciful love. May it put a stop to evil. May it transform consciences. May your immaculate heart reveal for all the light of hope. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Chris. I appreciate that. You know, I can't help but uh, think, as you went through that litany of the things we face in our modern society, uh, of what we've seen tragically in the news in the last couple of days, and of course, I don't want to give these events any more play than they deserve, but, you know, the terrible tragedies that we've seen unfold in Philadelphia in an abortion clinic, the the horrendous story of 10 years of captivity in our own country uh, that comes out of Cleveland. And every day on the on the front pages, we see evidence of, uh, of those things that we've prayed for deliverance from famine and war and calculable self-destruction, the dignity of the human person being offended. Um, this prayer, this this devotion to Our Lady of Fatima, as is the theme of the of the program today, is every bit as pertinent to us today as it was in 1917. Absolutely, and well, I, I I think that we should be praying this prayer every day as well to, to be delivered of all of these things. I, I agree. I mean the the. Um, devotion that we're going to talk about this evening, that which we celebrate today, Our Lady of Fatima, 
Uh, and as I say, the theme of this program is really, what does this message mean for us today? If we have a pope in John Paul II, who felt that it was important enough, as we discussed before we came on this evening, to consecrate the world uh, under uh, the banner of Our Lady of Fatima, if it was important enough for John Paul II, blessed John Paul II, to write this prayer that he shared with the world, if it's also important enough, and I think more significantly for us today, that the current pope uh, felt the need to make this statement of consecrating his own papacy uh, to Our Lady of Fatima, we need to understand that there's something deeper in this message for us today than perhaps many of us have given credit to. Yeah, I agree. Um. I, I think what we're, uh, what we're really uh, hoping to draw out of uh, the discussion, the conversation this evening is, where does this play today, this event that occurred initially May 13th, 1917? Of course, the brief history is uh, uh, the early apparition of the angelic uh, 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 being who uh, visited the children. And we'll pray that prayer here in just a little bit that, that the angel shared with the three children. And then about a year later, in May of 1917, our Blessed Mother visits, and of course, each uh, month in in sequence for the next six months on the, on the 13th, and of course, following in the last apparition in October of that year. But today, we have uh, so much to say about these visitations and about this message. And of course, um, the tie, because this is a uh, Carmelite conversation, we want to focus on uh, Sister Lucia, who plays a central role in this. Talk to us a little bit about her Carmelite uh, experience, Chris. She was, of course, a Carmelite She herself. was a Carmelite nun and was a <clears throat> cloister nun for quite a while, although she began in the Society of St. Dorothy, I think it was. Correct, yeah. And she needed... Um, a papal dispensation to become mm-hmm. a Carmelite. Right. She she was absolved of her vows to the Society of St. Uh, uh, Dorothy, and uh, she then became a Carmelite. I think there's something in, significant in that, but we're not going to dwell on that this evening, nor, for that matter, uh, are we going to dwell a great deal on the secrets, though they have gotten an awful lot of play and there's a lot of intrigue behind them. Uh, the secrets are no longer secret, <laughs> and the message uh is um, is not um, uh, in any way hidden. It's very clear uh, what our Blessed Mother was calling us to back then and what our church through Fatima, through Our Lady of Fatima, is calling us to today. These are simple uh, principles. Faith, our belief in God, uh, consecration to her Immaculate Heart, the commission and uh, admonition constantly to pray the rosary. Um, but we shouldn't uh, miss the point either that this is fundamentally, and you said it as uh, we got ready to come on the air, this is so consistent with Carmelite spirituality because it's really a call to save souls. Right. And this uh, this um, prayer that we just prayed, one of the prayers was for the loss of awareness of good and evil. Mm. Deliver us. And that certainly is the society we live on. You know, the Pope called it a culture of death. Right. I call it a culture of the seven capital sins. Yeah. You can't turn on the TV without seeing one or more of the capital sins on display. You know, it's interesting. In a recent address, I think really just a few days ago, the Holy Father said we cannot enter, and he used a specific word, dialogue with with evil in the world. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing a little bit. But he essentially was saying, when we begin to enter into dialogue with evil, 
um, that's when we've already lost the battle. Because what evil wants is for us to engage in the debate, engage in the debate about abortion, engage in the debate about you know any any uh, one of your favorite uh, um, social topics, if you will, without going through the litany of them. But but engage in the debate because once we begin the debate then ground is already lost, and we begin to be deceived. And it's the same in our personal life um, with sin, right? Once we begin to engage and we slowly accept the voice of you know, where the line can be moved continuously in the nature of our sin, then we've already lost the debate. It's no longer a dialogue. We've simply become victim at that right. point. Well, and I think the Blessed Mother, through uh, these messages, uh, was trying to communicate that, giving us certainly advance warning, but the pertinence and the, the significance of the messages has not been lost. Evidence to the fact, we're going to be speaking this evening largely from a Vatican document from the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, uh, when our uh, former Pope now, uh, Benedict XVI, was actually the prefect for the Doctrine of the Faith, the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith, there was a document written called The Message of Fatima. Um, And again, emphasizing, Chris, as we did a moment ago, the significance of the message has not been lost uh, over the years. It's as pertinent today as it was then. I'm going to ask you if you wouldn't mind reading a little bit from that document, this one paragraph, uh, because I think it speaks to this idea uh, of our mother calling us all back to this message. Okay. O Mother of all men and women, and of all peoples, you who know all their sufferings and their hopes, you who have a mother's awareness of all the struggles between good and evil, between light and darkness, which afflict the modern world, accept the cry which we, moved by the Holy Spirit, address directly to your heart. Embrace with the love of the Mother and handmaid of the Lord this human world of ours, which we entrust and consecrate to you, For we are full of concern for the earthly and eternal destiny of individuals and peoples. Yeah, and there it is. I think, you know, we're turning back to the Blessed Mother. That's one of the key themes that we'll we'll speak about this evening is the uh, need for us to uh, turn back to the Blessed Mother. In Carmel, and I'm going to ask you to speak about this briefly, Chris, because I think you have a a deeper understanding even, uh, certainly, than I do. You've been in Carmel much longer. Uh, Our devotion to the Blessed Mother in so many ways. We look to her, and in Fatima we hear about the message of the consecration to the Immaculate Heart. We look to Mary as uh, co-redemptrix, and we don't need to go into the theology of that, but we understand uh, her participation in the work of salvation. What is it about uh, our devotion in Carmel? Because, again, these are words that were ultimately shared uh, by a mature and now um, um, you know, somewhat spiritually developed Carmelite nun in Sister Lucia, and she's sharing that message, and she was uh, in, in communication, of course, with John Paul II as this document was being developed. Um, and so we know that what she has to share about the Blessed Mother is important. What is it that we in Carmel uh, uh, look to uh, in our relationship with the Blessed Mother? Well, first of all, um, since I became a Carmelite, my devotion to Mary has increased tremendously. And often when I pray, I ask her, I say, um, Show me the blessed fruit of your womb, you know, as I pray. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, so, and many, many times I can feel her right at my right side as I, as I pray. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that's a very powerful presence in my life. Um, the, our constitutions say that she is both mother and sister. 
and and so it's, of course she is our mother. She, uh, Jesus gave her to us, but she's also sister, and um, it's an interesting relationship that I hadn't thought of until I became a Carmelite. Uh, she's a model of perfect contemplation. Mm-hmm. Uh, she stored all these things in our heart, and we Carmelites are called to uh, live a contemplative life. You know, uh, be always in the presence of the Lord. Yeah, and um, the. Uh you know, the, the theme coming out of uh, this devotion, Our Lady of Fatima, and I want to come back to, to Mary as we, as we get towards the end, um, but it was also at the time uh, calling on the Blessed Mother to protect us against this litany of things that you mentioned uh, were attacking um, society and continue to uh, wage war against society. But it stems from something specific. And though I said I don't want to focus extensively on the secrets, I do think it's important that we mention uh, the significance of the third secret uh, and the third uh, part of the overall message. And I want to read from uh, Sister Lucia's uh, communication uh, with regard to that secret. She says, The third part of the secret refers to Our Lady's words, which were these. If these, and she's speaking about the devotion being spread, if, if the devotion is not spread, if not, she says, Russia will spread her errors throughout the world, causing wars and persecutions of the church. The good will be martyred. The Holy Father will have much to suffer, and various nations will be annihilated. And that sounds like strong language, and I think we have to put it a little bit in context, Chris, as we spoke about this uh, discussion the other day. Uh, we recognize that we're not just talking about, in fact, not largely talking about a country here. What we're talking about is the atheistic uh, element uh, of communism, that uh, idea that uh, we can do without God, that the collective or a man in and of himself or the community of workers, if you will, however you want to characterize it, um, is is not dependent on God. That's really the error that's rampant in uh, atheism and uh, in a uh, atheistic form of communism, and that's the threat. But also in secularism. You know, we live in a largely secular society, which is atheistic. So um, uh, it's there too. It's in our own uh, um, own nation, our own culture, right? And, and all of these. Uh um, ideas, of course, are what spread throughout, and you, you mentioned, again, in the litany, f- uh, famine and war, uh, self-destruction, the lack of dignity of the human person, injustice in society, trampling of the commandments of God. Uh, we've certainly seen that. These are the consequence of the errors that were spread by not uh, Russia per se, but by atheistic communism, the effort to replace God. And I think if there's uh, sort of one central theme um, uh, uh, around faith that Lucia talks about, and she has a number of messages that she contends uh, are, are collectively the message of Fatima. She talks about faith. She talks about the need uh, for us to believe uh, that God has, in fact, uh, um, created us, that he's called us, that he sent his son to redeem us. Uh, she uses uh, some very interesting and direct language, actually, in a text that she uh, wrote later. And we'll talk about later, if not uh, today, then I think perhaps in a following program. But she says, faith is the basis of our entire spiritual life. It is by faith that we believe in the existence of God, in his power, in his wisdom, in his mercy, in his work of redemption, and in his pardon, and most especially in his fatherly love. This is uh, the, the, the call to faith that 
both uh, we in Carmel and, of course, uh, the church in general uh, calls us to. And the threat to that is a consequence, a, a uh, an outgrowth of the adoption of these secular ideas that you referred to uh, and, and the atheistic principles that say we can we can proceed fine without God. Yes. And th- uh, that's the great challenge. Yeah. Uh, go, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to ask you a question. Yeah. When is the last time you heard in a Sunday homily mention of, of the word hell? Well, it's been a long time. I have to confess, I don't think it's uh, something that's too common. But but I know um, that that this is something we want to address. We, we uh, have the story of the visionaries, one of the uh, experiences that they had. I'm going to let you share it, actually, if you would, uh, is the, the very cold, harsh reality of the existence of hell. Yes. Uh, the, the text shows of, um, that they were given just in a moment a picture of hell mm-hmm. which was which showed uh, these souls in pain and despair and and um, uh, unfamiliar animals that that looked like that were demons or something like that mm-hmm. and after the vision our lady says to them you have seen hell where the souls of poor sinners go to save them God wishes to establish in the world devotion to my immaculate heart mm-hmm. Um and, and the, the whole, I keep thinking about how what Ephesians two four God is rich in mercy, and this is all this re- revelation is an, is an, an act of mercy on the, on the part of God to draw us closer to Him and closer to our Mother. And um, I, I know uh, that vision of of hell is similar to what Saint Teresa experienced. Mm-hmm. Um, she not only saw hell, she experienced it. She, it, it was it, and it was quite similar. It was brief. Mm-hmm. Uh, she saw despair. Tremendous pain and souls being ripped apart, and for her, she viewed it as a great favor to have seen this, knowing that God's mercy delivered her from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and she also set, saw that, um, having experienced this, all the other pains of her life, the other sufferings of her life, were nothing compared to that. And this experience led her to a deeper um, desire to intercede for souls. Yeah. to offer her sufferings for souls, as did St. Therese. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I want to read actually a little bit uh, more the uh, section that you read. It, it, it um, I think, unfortunately, <laughs> brings it out a little bit for our listeners, uh, this idea. And you can imagine, these are young children now. Uh, she says, Our Lady showed us the great sea of fire, which seemed to be under the earth, plunged in this fire, as you said, Chris, were the demons, the souls in human form, like transparent burning embers, all blackened or burnished bronze, floating about in conflagration, now raised in the air by flames and issued uh, from within themselves together with the great clouds of smoke now falling back on every side. You know, this is not the sort of fire and brimstone, uh, as you said, uh, homilies that we receive but we we ought not to shy away from this there is a reality in in the spiritual world uh, and that is that our souls are destined to one destination or another that that simple uh, reality and, and we have to face that and i think as you said earlier with regard to the diminishment of our understanding of the nature of evil as part of secularism my my contention that um, when you hear uh, folks with um, 
you know, say, more liberal ideas about uh, these so- compelling social issues, and I'll use abortion as the most explicit one, um, and they ask, uh, you know, let's enter into a dialogue, that's where actually the battle begins to be lost. Right. Uh, it's not about a dialogue. We don't right. dialogue with evil, as the, as the Holy Father has said. Uh, but this vision of hell, um, I, I think, is both a, a compelling uh, aspect of Fatima, as was, by the way, the teaching on purgatory, right? The revelation of uh, the existence of purgatory and the reality that there is a redemptive work that must go on uh, for the souls to be perfected. Yeah, you know, we don't want to think about these horrible things. Nobody wants to think about hell today. There are many people, Catholics even, who don't believe in hell. Yet, it's clearly spelled out in the scriptures and in the catechism. There's a, mm-hmm. there's a, a, it's a page starting in 1033 in the catechism. Mm-hmm. It talks about hell. And there are uh, five or six different paragraphs there. And it says the teaching of the church affirms the exist- existence of hell and its eternity. So it's a reality that we need to be aware of and deal with. Yeah. Well, when we, we're going to take a, a brief uh, break here, but when we come back, I want to talk, uh, uh, Chris, a little bit about um, not only this idea of, um, um, you know, this redemptive work that we can participate in, but again, linking it back to our Carmelite devotion. Uh, Fatima, for me, is very tightly linked with karma. Of course, we know Our Lady uh, was part of uh, one of the apparitions in in uh, 1917, uh, Sister Lucia, who was the one remaining uh, a child who, who uh, as we've shared, is, later became a Carmelite nun uh, and carried this message forward through uh, the latter century. Um, and also the uniqueness of the call to a, a devotion to our Blessed Mother. I think all of these are, are, are consistent Carmelite themes. So we will uh, pick up on each of those when we come back. A reminder, you're listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. Ahead. A warmth of peace, cool serenity. 
Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The program you're currently listening to is a rebroadcast of Carmelite Conversations. Well, welcome back to Carmelite Conversations. You know, I know there's a great deal of interest in uh, Fatima and the um, uh, the messages, and there may even be some connections uh, to Fatima in our audience. If you're a Carmelite and you understand uh, this linkage, this important linkage, it's one of the reasons that we uh, wanted to focus on the message of Fatima in today's program, not just uh, the significance of the feast of the, the 13th of May, uh, the fact that our Holy Father is consecrating his papacy uh, to Our Lady of Fatima. I think that in and of itself is quite significant, uh, but also this linkage to Carmel. And Chris is um, going to share, Chris Carter is going to share with us uh, a little bit more the message uh, of Fatima and how that links to the Carmelite spirituality. We have a caller. Oh, great. Hello. I think I heard um, someone say over the air that they spoke of um, Our Lady as a sister. Uh huh. Is that true? Yeah, Chris? Yes, our Carmelite constitutions point out that. Mary is both mother, but she's also sister, primarily because she was human. Okay. Um, if she's the mother of all people and the queen of heaven and earth, and our sisters are the saints, the female saints, and our sisters here on earth through Christ, how does that make her our sister? Well, she's a sister in the way Jesus is our brother. He had a human nature. And so he's brother to us. Mary is sister because she was human. She's also mother. It's, it's not one or the other. It's both mother and sister. Okay, because I've think never heard that before. So yeah. I just, um, wanted to clarify no, that. No, I appreciate that. Actually, that, that's a very good question. Um, it, it's interesting that our founding uh, members of the Order of Carmel, the monks who uh, lived on Mount Carmel, um, uh, at the the time, it was uh, uh, before Christ. Actually, there were monks living on Mount Carmel, and right. they themselves had uh, devoted one of their early chapels uh, to the Blessed Mother, and they used the term "sister." Not, really? and of course, uh, yeah, but not wow. to in any way diminish, not in any way to diminish her significance, but I think to make it. Um, 
clear the intimacy that we have with her as a human person. She suffered all of the same trials and tribulations, far greater, in fact, uh, than those that we suffer individually. And, and by consequence, she understands us. She is certainly our mother, and she is the mother of all peoples. But, but we can come to know her, as Chris says, uh, like we know Christ our brother, and we refer to him in, in that way at times. Uh, we come to know her as a sister in this struggle uh, and, and relying on her support, uh, as we see manifested in the message of Fatima. Because I have never, you know, seen or heard or read that she was a sister. That's what I called. Yeah, so, no, that's I'm, a very good I'm, question. I'm glad you clarified it. Yeah, I appreciate the call. Actually, we'll probably post something on our site that uh, uh, provides a little more background. We obviously wouldn't be able to go into a lot of detail okay, about this, but certainly the history. Well, uh, and thank you. Do, do you have a particular devotion to Our Lady of Fatima? Oh, yes. I belong to Our Lady of Fatima with Father Glover. Oh, yes, yes. I'm familiar with that community. And I've been yeah. with them for six years. Now, so I have can a great, speak- great devotion to her. Can you speak a little bit about what the community, your your organization, the the, the nature of the devotion? I know you have specific things that, uh, like uh, we do as Carmelites, that you're called upon to do. Would you feel comfortable sharing some of that? Well, what we have a belief is the belief that um, we want Russia converted through the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Mm-hmm. Um, also, um, uh, the third secret has two parts. One has right. Belief, it's our belief. Right. And um, pretty much, that's what it is. And there's so many other things, sacramentals available, many, many, the brown scapula, um, our native caramel, um, um, rosaries, the green scapula, uh, all these uh, things uh, are part of Yeah, I was going to say... I knew that you would mention the rosary, and I'm so glad you did. We wanted to, of course, emphasize that in the program as well. There is so much uh, importance attached to the rosary, and I don't think even today with the with the um, uh, effort to uh, to get uh, that message out, I don't think, Chris, even today that we've uh, adequately understood and communicated. Of course, John Paul II was a great advocate of the rosary. Uh, he was very devoted to our Blessed Mother, as we know. He wore the brown scapula. Uh, but but the significance of the rosary caller, I, I appreciate so much you're saying that. I think uh, we need to continue to get that word out. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you all so much, and I love your program. Well, thank you for calling. We appreciate you as well. Thank you all so much. Well, Chris, I know you also wanted to pick up on this idea um, in the spring now of 1916 when the angelic figure um, uh, represented uh, to the children uh, and then later, when um, we'll we'll pray that prayer, as I said, uh, towards the end of the program. But later, um, this figure returns, and there's a there's an important message in that. Yeah, this is uh, I, th- I thought this was some of the third se- part of the secret. Anyway, mm-hmm. what 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 is said here? Uh, she says, after the two parts which I have already explained, at the left of Our Lady and a little above, we saw an angel with a flaming sword in his left hand. Flashing, it gave out flames that looked as though they would set the world on fire. But they died out in contact with the splendor that Our Lady radiated towards him from her right hand. Pointing to the earth with his right hand, the angel cried out in a loud voice, Penance, penance, 
penance. And, you know, as Carmelites, that's what we're called to do. We're called to pray and sacrifice for the world. Well, one of the messages that um, Sister Lucia talks about uh, in the 20 messages she outlines in a book, uh, for those of you who may be fans of Fatima, uh, there's a book entitled simply Calls, C-A-L-L-S, Calls, from the message of Fatima. It is Sister Lucia in her own words, uh, her own writing, and this was actually uh, an effort later in life. Now, she's had a number of years to reflect on uh, what all of this has meant to her and what uh, the message has meant, what her own uh, prayer life had revealed to her, and she, in, in an effort to sort of get it all down, uh, wrote this book entitled Calls, The Messages from Fatima, and she outlines 20 different uh, uh, messages that she thinks are are the most pertinent from uh, Fatima. One of those, which is titled here the seventh call of the message, is simply the call to sacrifice. Uh, and it's it says, offer prayers and sacrifices constantly to the Most High. Uh, she goes into uh, this need for us um, to follow our Lord. She says, and she reiterates gospel here from Luke 9, 23 through 25, she quotes, If any man would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake, he will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? And she says, renouncing, this is Sister Lucia's own words now, renouncing anything which might cause us to sin is the way to salvation. It is for this reason that the Lord warns us, whoever would save his life will lose it. In other words, she says, anyone who wishes to satisfy their disordered appetites and live a sinful life or tread the broad path of sin without repenting or making amends will lose their life. How can we not ask ourselves, Jesus, what does it profit us if we gain the whole world and lose you? And she's very adamant about this fact. And of course, Chris, as you uh, have already uh, shared, uh, this idea of not just suffering in and of itself, suffering in and of itself is not particularly meritorious. It's suffering in a redemptive way, suffering in love. Can you share a little bit about that from our, our Carmelite teaching? Well, I recall uh, St. Therese's conversion to intercessory prayer at age 14, when she had a conversion not, under, not unlike St. Teresa's, where, where she saw the um, a, a, an image of Christ with his blood being shed, and she regretted that the she said the sacred dew was not being taken up. And she heard his call, I thirst. And she realized that he was thirsting for souls. So, so in her desire to slake the thirst of her beloved Jesus, she began this, this um, ministry, if you will, of intercessory prayer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to, to slake the thirst of Jesus. She was doing it out of love for Jesus, for right. his thirst for souls. And that began her her intercession for this convicted criminal named Pranzini. Mm-hmm. So she prayed and sacrificed for for his salvation, and eventually he was converted right before he was executed. Um, she also, um, one of my favorite lines from St. Therese is that prayer and sacrifice are the invincible weapons that God had given her, yeah. far more effective than words. Yeah. You know, it's important, too, I think, that we understand. We don't 
have to go and create those sacrifices, do we? (laughs) We're fortunate enough, perhaps unfortunate, but fortunate enough, uh, many of us, in our day-to-day lives uh, to find those sacrifices, God said, um, you know, sufficient unto the day, right? Like today. Uh, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, We really are called on to accept all the trials that enter into our life. Now, in fairness, what happens, I think, um, is that as we deepen our uh, intimacy with the Lord, as our strength grows, as our love grows, which is our strength, um, then the Lord may call upon us to bear a heavier burden. He may call upon us to uh, to lift a heavier cross. And, of course, those are not all our crosses. They may well be the crosses uh, of others who don't have uh, the strength to lift uh, that weight or bear that burden, and so that um, that uh, trial, if you will, is is being spread out uh, among the faithful. I think that it's not may, it's will. As yeah. we grow in the Lord, we will, in, in, in imitation of him, we will take on more suffering. Yeah, Saint, I was trying to be kind yeah. about it, but you're Saint, right. St. <laughs> Teresa points that out in the, in the interior castle, how as we grow in union with God, part of that is suffering and imitation of him. Right. And it's a redemptive suffering. I mean, what we yes. do in, you know, Francis and I picked up on this in one of the last uh, uh, shows that we did, programs that we did regarding um, a, a book. Um, we talked about the significance because, you know, that you can get lost a little bit in this idea uh, of suffering. And, you know, again, the, the message you read, penance, 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 it sounds very weighty. It sounds very, uh, you know, sort of heavy uh, for for the listener. But what we're talking about is bearing that share of the burden or perhaps a greater share of the burden, depending on our love. Um, that is participation in the redemptive work uh, of the Lord. And we are called as Carmelites. We're called not simply to go along, but rather to participate in that. Right. Um, I think of, um, um, once again, Teresa's um, prayer and sacrifice as the invincible weapons. And she also talked about um, she committed herself to a serious and mortified life uh, to bring her will into conformity with Christ. Um, and, you know, the, the, we don't do this in an, um, it's not an obligation. It's done out of love, love for Jesus and love for the souls that are in jeopardy. Right. You know, there, there's also another Carmelite theme that I want to pick up on here, Chris, and we, uh, again, you and I briefly spoke about this. Uh, I'm struck by the fact that in this document from the Vatican, again, uh, titled simply The Message of Fatima, you can find it on the the uh, Vatican website where all of the um, the papal documents and other documents from the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith are uh, located. Uh, this is titled simply The Message of Fatima. They quote the Catechism of the Catholic Church, and they quote here uh, St. John of the Cross, uh, this particular um, uh, quote from The Ascent of Mount Carmel. In this document on the message of Fatima, it says, In giving us his son, these are the words again of St. John of the Cross, In giving us his son, his only word, for he possesses no other, he spoke everything to us at once in this sole word. And he has no more to say, because what he spoke before the, to the prophets in parts, he has now spoken all at once by giving us the all who is his son. Any person questioning God or desiring some vision or revelation would be guilty, uh, not only of foolish behavior, but also of offending him by not fixing his eyes entirely upon Christ and by living with the desire from, 
for uh, some other novelty. St. John of the Cross's Scent of Mount Carmel. Uh, and, and, Chris, this draws us back to this idea of the imitation of Christ, right? We, we've talked about penance. We've talked about uh, the need for us in love to uh, bear our burden and perhaps bear uh, in, in that love a larger share of the burden but in doing so we are imitating our Lord and Savior we are imitating Christ and there is no other path uh, that we need to worry about following right um, I'm re- reminded of that scripture I think it's in Hebrew, Hebrews which says keep your eyes fixed on Jesus who inspires and perfects your faith mm. and um, St. Teresa s- t- told us that uh, imitating Christ was everything you know that was our and St. John on the cross right early on in the um, Ascent of Mount Carmel, where he talks about how to enter the dark night to begin the the active active night to begin this process of sanctification, mm-hmm. he said that we are to um, imitate Christ in everything. So, in order to do that, we must study His life, which means read the Scriptures right. and then implement those things in His life. Right. It's like WWJD. What would Jesus do? But we enter, it's, it's not so glib as that, but. But it's uh, something serious. We are to imitate Jesus in everything. Right. And also avoid what he wouldn't do. Right. Which sometimes is the greater challenge, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I I do want to talk a little bit about Sister Lucia's messages. Um, You know, we've talked uh, just briefly, I think, uh, uh, about the Carmelite uh, connection, but uh, it it is really her. I mean, she became a Carmelite. We talked a little bit about her history um, and and the fact that um, she... uh, left the original order that she was a member of. She became a Carmelite. She moved back to Portugal, uh, and she kept in contact, of course, throughout her life uh, with the popes, and most especially with John Paul II. Um, but she she authored this book, Calls, uh, and one of the other uh, clear messages that she emphasizes is this need for prayer. Uh, we in Carmel, of course, our number one charism is contemplative prayer. She's talking here about a deeper form of prayer. She's talking about uh, um, a, a, an intimacy in prayer uh, that we talk about in Carmel. And I want you to just, if you would, Chris, outline again quickly. We've done a, a number of conversations on this, but talk quickly about these various levels of prayer that we talk about in the role of prayer in uh, both conforming us to God's will and in the purification that we experience. Yes, uh, we talk about uh, contemplation, which is, um, is 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 a passive gift of God, as St. John of the Cross uh, calls it. It's a secret and peaceful and loving inflow of God which fires the soul in the spirit of love. And so that's what we're seeking, but we can't bring it about by our own power. So we have to live what's called a contemplative life, which means... Um, uh, it's, it's two things. It's prayer, especially mental prayer, mm-hmm. and it's also mortification, um, putting to death everything in our human nature that is not of God or that prevents us from advancing toward God. And even some of the things, and again, uh, Francis and I had had a conversation about this just a few weeks ago, but even some of the the uh, uh, things that would not appear on the surface uh, to have any negative aspects to them in our lives, but if we're too devoted to them, if we're too uh, uh, attached uh, to certain things, even admirable things, uh, these two can be blockages. And I think what Sister Lucia is uh, talking about in her message is one of which, as I say, uh, the sixth message is the call to prayer. We'll read that prayer uh, as we close, but uh, the call to prayer, she, she reiterates uh, this message from our from Our Lady, pray, pray, pray very much, she says. Yeah, and, uh, you know, 
as we come more and more aware of this whole um, situation in which souls are probably in jeopardy, we live in this secular atheistic society. And so I'm coming to the point where I realize that, that I need to pray more and more and more constantly. You know, it's intercessory prayer for for family, friends, the world in general, the people mm. of the world in general. Prayer without ceasing. Uh, you know, we yes. talk about this so often. Prayer without ceasing, and that's developing that desire in the heart. The desire, of course, is to imitate Christ. The desire eventually in a mature state becomes not only to accept our suffering. Acceptance still expresses a degree of reluctance, but to embrace our suffering as Christ embraced his cross, right? He knew the glory uh, waiting on the other side, the victory waiting on on the other side of that cross and his crucifixion. And we're called to that level. You know, this is a very difficult message, I think, in our modern uh, society where we, we struggle so often with uh, self-fulfillment and self-actualization and, and, and the creation of, uh, you know, so many good and admirable things that we pursue, but nonetheless uh, become ultimately, or can, certainly can become, distractions in our relationship with uh, God and with our Lord in purifying us, not just uh, in an exterior way through our acts and so on and so forth. We must pursue virtue, but in an interior way, in a, in a, in a deeper way. And this, I think, is what Sister Lucia is saying was the real message. Of course, we remember the, the story about the children, and um, Lucia asks at one point, asked the Blessed Mother, you know, will we all go to heaven? And she says yes, and of course, uh, she references the two younger uh, children who will be coming uh, sooner, and, and Francisco, of course, not until after he's prayed a number of rosaries. Right. You remember the <laughs> no, story. Sure. Everybody does, so I don't, I don't need to reiterate. I say many, many rosaries. Yes, <laughs> a, a, a simple story, but nonetheless... Uh, even to the children, they got the point, right? It's it's time spent in prayer that matters. It's not just a matter of, you know, sort of uh, uh, rolling your finger over the beads, but it's the time spent in prayer. You said mental prayer a moment ago. Say a little bit more about that in, in the context of the ad- admonition to pray the rosary. Um, mental prayer is, is um, as Teresa would say, having a loving, loving conversation with the one we know loves us. Basically, it's it's being aware of God's presence as we pray. So we can do it mentally, but we can also do it vocally as we pray the rosary, being aware of his presence, meditating upon the mysteries, which are all attached to different virtues in the the hope and expectation that we will acquire those virtues. Yeah, and there's something deeper in the rosary. Again, I I can't emphasize enough, and I appreciate so much our caller uh, reiterating that. I can't emphasize enough. We certainly try to... Uh, on this program, I know this this uh, ministry, this radio t- uh, station throughout the world, uh, constantly focusing on um, the significance of the rosary. I think most especially, most especially in our day and age, we need to enter into the life of Christ, into the life of our Blessed Mother. That's exactly what the rosary is. And as you say, um, really engaging not just the mind, but the heart in mental prayer. Uh, we've talked over the course of a series of uh, programs about this difference of the use of imagery and, uh, and the imagination and what role it plays and so forth. But the rosary gives us a, a wonderful vehicle for entering into meditation, entering even into contemplation. Yes. Yeah. I'm, I always remember what St. John of the Cross said about, you know, that uh, people who think they're going to win the world by their preaching and good, work, good works are mistaken. You yeah. Know, that they would be better off spending half that time in prayer. Right. And he ends that passage by saying, uh, good things only come about by the, by the power of God through prayer. Yeah. yeah. 
One of the other key messages, and I said we would would probably get on to more of these in a a follow-up program on Our Lady of Fatima, but I wanted to call attention to this one. Her fifth message, actually, is the call to forgiveness. And I think that's terribly important, not as most people would originally perhaps assume, oh, forgiveness, because i got to make sure the other person feels okay. What's the real uh, gift of forgiveness, Chris? Forgiveness, first of all, it's done in obedience to Jesus and an imitation of Jesus who forgave his persecutors and murderers on the cross. Uh, and it's, it's reconciliation. It's getting back into right relationship with another, pe- another person. Uh, and, and, and it's, it's healing it's, it, balm for the soul, isn't it? It's healing, and it is basic Christianity. Yeah. You know, we have to forgive. You know, as, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you, you know. Well, uh, Sister Lucia, as I said, gives uh, a, a whole series of uh, messages in this um, wonderful book entitled Calls, uh, the uh, the uh, from the message of Fatima, and she goes through a whole a series of uh, uh, twenty different messages, and she elaborates using scripture and using um, uh, references to uh, the uh, uh, fathers and so forth uh, of the church, but trying to get across what she, uh, after many many years of reflection. Uh, and prayer herself, what she believes the message of Fatima is all about. I think, Chris, uh, as we move towards the, the, the end of our program this evening, I, I'd just like to reiterate um, on this special day, of course, for us in the studio on 13 May, uh, it's not only the feast, it is the very day that our current Holy Father, Pope Francis, has consecrated his papacy. Uh, to Our Lady of Fatima. It is a message that is both from Carmel and I think for us in Carmel, very consistent with Carmel. Uh, you've talked about the need for uh, prayer, uh, the, the issue of uh, suffering in a redemptive way, um, recognizing that we do that for other people, the call to contemplation, faith, and, and also where we began this program, Uh, as a defense against so many of the ills that threaten our modern society. As we've entered into dialogue, unfortunately, on many fronts with this modern secular society, we've introduced things both into uh, um, our society as well as into the church that are dangerous, and, and we have to combat those, and the most effective way to do that is to call on our Blessed Mother. Yeah, I agree. I don't have anything else to say. So. Well, I'm going to say something that uh, actually is a closing prayer. It is actually the prayer uh, or the words from the angelic figure who first uh, was presented to the children. Again, the history of this is that it occurred in the springtime of 1916. And I want to say these words, but I want to communicate them to our listeners in a very uh, direct way. So uh, if you would, imagine these words are being communicated to each and every one of us individually, each and every one of you. And the the, um, angelic figure approaches and asks first this question, what are you doing? And I think, Chris, we can read into that. What are you doing with your life? What are you doing with your time? And then he says, pray, pray very much. The hearts of Jesus and Mary have designs of mercy on you. Offer prayers and sacrifices constantly to the Most High. Make everything you can a sacrifice and offer it to God as an act of reparation for the sins by which God is offended and in supplication for the conversion of sinners. You will thus draw down peace on your country. 
I am an angel guardian. Above all, accept and bear with submission the suffering which the Lord will send you. I think that's the message of Fatima. He was, of course, preparing the children for what they would experience about a year later when our Blessed Mother would be with them, uh, reveal herself to them in six consecutive months. And that message is prayer. Uh, That message is consecration to her Immaculate Heart. That message is doing battle with the things that confront us in society and making sure that we remain close and under her mantle. I thank you very much, Chris, for joining me in the studio this week. It's been a pleasure. I hope you'll join us again. It was a a treat for me. I know Frances would love it if you joined us when she was back. Uh, And I want to say to all of our listeners, uh, please uh, take the time today, if you haven't already, to pray the rosary. Consecrate yourself to our Mother's Immaculate Heart. And pray on this Feast of the Rosary that our Holy Father will be blessed and strengthened in his ministry. And I ask all of you for your prayers for this ministry and for this radio station. And again, until we're with you next week, thank you and God bless. Listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The program you just heard was a rebroadcast of Carmelite Conversations.